Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 119. Despite the fact that the Lions were 8-2 and two going into Thursday and maybe fighting for a number one seed in the NFC and are a resurgent franchise and a great story that everybody seems to be rooting for, despite all of that, out of respect for tradition, they decided to stink up the joint on Thanksgiving Day. That's what their fans are used to, and that's what they served up on Thursday afternoon. What a win for our Green Bay Packer football club. We're going to try not to be too dramatic. I can't promise anything. I'm having pumpkin cheesecake and coffee for breakfast on Black Friday. So all bets are off, literally, and then we'll do some bets at the end of this, too. One of the best wins in the Matt LaFleur era. When you consider the injuries and the youth of the team and where they were playing and the caliber of the opponent, what a performance on Thanksgiving Day, and they came out firing literally. We're going to break all of that down as Green Bay improves to 5-6. and six. We've got the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe coming up on Saturday. See if the Badgers can keep themselves on a mini trend upward as they head into bowl season and the offseason. We'll talk some college hoops. Marquette came up just short against number 2 Purdue. What a story that would have been, beating number 1 and number 2 on back-to-back days at the Maui Invitational. We've got the showdown with Wisconsin looming next weekend. Wisconsin, the Fort Myers Championship. They beat SMU. We will discuss that. A nice little tournament for them. Bucks and Celtics didn't really go the way you wanted it to. In-season tournament play, though, returns. Not those stupid regular season games like in Boston on Wednesday. Now a game that matters. The Wizards at Pfizer Forum in-season tournament play resumes tonight. We'll talk about it all. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit to center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws! And there is your Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle foul, throws it down! Swinging fly ball in the right center, Braxton is there, and they're the champions! They have done it! We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, kitchen table podcast here this morning. My dog is taking a nap on the couch and wondering what I am doing here. Disrupting his weekday nonsense, whatever he does from 8 a.m. or 6 a.m. until 1 or 2 p.m. every day. I'm bothering him. We are having some of my mom's pumpkin cheesecake and some coffee here for breakfast. I hope everybody out there had a great Thanksgiving. My wife and I hosted yesterday. Went off pretty well. We did pretty well. Second year in a row. Got everybody happy. Everybody fed. Everybody feeling too full. (laughs) Doling out some Tums on the way out. Here's your Tums. Little Tums gift bags on your way out. Here's some Pepto. Here's some Tums. And now we're into Friday. Off day for us, but there's no way we are going to not podcast after the performance the Green Bay Packers put together yesterday. So a Black Friday podcast. By the way, Black Friday, it has changed, hasn't it? I remember our company, Midwest Communications, we used to have to work on Black Friday. And because it was in a ratings period, 
everybody had to be, and you're not allowed to take vacation during ratings periods in radio. I would argue my taking vacation may help the ratings. However, they were staunchly for having everybody in the building during those ratings periods. Rating period for fall typically goes until the first week of December. So we all had to be there on Friday, and it was a pretty lackluster show, if we're honest. Just play a ton of music, play some news. If the Packers played, obviously we'd talk about that that day, but if they didn't, it was just a whole lot of nothing. But I would sit in the studio and kind of just sit on Twitter and watch all of the videos of the Black Friday melees where people were throwing fists over a 41-inch TV at Best Buy or Circuit City. That was the whole morning. You'd see videos like that all day. People lined up at midnight or 10 p.m. on Thanksgiving. They're camping out in the cold to try to buy some DVD-VCR combo or whatever the sale was. But a part of my entertainment, excuse me, sip of coffee, a part of my entertainment on being there on Friday morning, Black Friday mornings, do the morning show, was that you would get to see these videos, which I oddly enjoyed, even though I don't think that speaks well to my character. I just, I, I liked seeing. I liked seeing the people just battling strangers a day after giving thanks and having all those moments where you think about your life and what you're thankful for and all the great food and family around you. And then six hours later, you've got somebody that you don't know in a sleeper hold trying to get an HD TV. That doesn't exist anymore, does it? What has taken its place, I noticed, when I got up this morning is and check my email is that every single place whether I gave them my email or not every business that I have purchased something from in my life is just going to assault me with emails every day and the unsubscribe doesn't work people that are listening to this right now are going to say just click unsubscribe I did a break about this on the B93 morning show many years ago you click unsubscribe like we bought a couple of bookcases from Wayfair probably six years ago And at the bottom of those emails, after I talked about it on the air and somebody said, well, just click unsubscribe. It's pretty simple. Just go to the bottom. Every email has it, John. Just go to the bottom of it. Click unsubscribe. I thought, okay, if it's that easy, then I will do that because I am tired of getting these emails. West Elm, we bought something from West Elm. I don't even know when. Maybe we didn't even buy something from them. And we get emails. I get emails every single day from West Elm. Some of them are pretty good. (laughs) They got me to buy one more time. So I guess point to them. So I go to the bottom and I click unsubscribe and I still get emails. And I did it for like 10 different businesses that I bought items from in the past. And I clicked unsubscribe on every single one of them. Are you sure unsubscribe? Yes, I'm sure. I still get the emails. That does nothing. That does absolutely nothing. I had 86 emails from, what, 10 p.m. last night until 6 a.m. this morning. And they were all from 8 8 to 9 from individual businesses. 20% off this, 25% off that. That's what has taken the place of battling strangers tooth and nail, literally. It's like the Frank Costanza Seinfeld as I rained blows upon him. I thought there had to be another way. I got to say, I kind of miss the former. Again, I know we're better as a culture. We are better as a society that we have gotten rid of camping out outside of stores for Black Friday and getting in fights with strangers over whatever. But I do kind of miss the video content. Anyhow, happy Black Friday to everybody out there. How about the Green Bay Packers yesterday? Just one of those performances, if they do get it all together this year or they take a big step forward next year, whatever the case may be, this is one of those performances we are going to look back at as maybe a seminal moment in the Matt LaFleur era or the Jordan Love era or just maybe the Matt LaFleur with Jordan Love era. They go into Detroit, and I'm telling you, you remember it. This Detroit team went into Lambeau Field in week three, or was it week four? And just slapped the Packers around. They were never in that game. I think they maybe came back late, but they were down 27-3. It was Dan Campbell's fourth win over Matt LaFleur. 
So on paper, given that you have this Lions team sitting at 8-2, and two, and they're at home, and they're finally having a good year, and their fans are finally excited to be at Ford Field during a Thanksgiving Day game, typically you go to those crowd shots on Thanksgiving Day, and it's people with brown paper bags on their heads. But they're there because of the tradition of the, of the Lions hosting at home Thanksgiving Day, 11.30 a.m. every single year since the dawn of time. They all go because of that. It's a part of their tradition, whether they're a one-win team or a zero-win team, as we've seen in the past. Or they're a decent team or a way better than decent team as they are this year. This is a team that's one game back of the number one seed in the NFC. When you look just at that, just at if these teams were both healthy, totally healthy, and you just looked at the short week on the road against an 8-2 team, Dan Campbell has four in a row against Matt LaFleur, it just didn't look good. Then you factor in the injuries. These injury reports came out on Wednesday you needed an 18-inch phone screen to see it all in one shot for the Packer injuries. We found out that Luke Musgrave, in that victory against, who did they play before, the Chargers? He played most of that game with a lacerated kidney. On Wednesday, Matt LaFleur said he had a severe abdominal injury. He didn't get into it, and then we later found out lacerated kidney, and it was early, and he played a good game. He made a lot of big catches with a lacerated kidney. He would have been on the Madden, on the All-Madden team. I don't know if they still do that. I don't think they do. I remember, though, was it last year or two years ago, they had the All-Madden documentary, and they talked about the All-Madden team. That would have been automatic Luke Musgrave. If John Madden would have been calling that game on Thanksgiving Day with the Turducken and all that kind of stuff, and that's the game we really miss Madden. We always miss Madden in summer all. That's the game, though, that Thanksgiving 11:30 game with the Turducken and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's where we miss Madden. Madden would have been talking about that. He would have put Luke Musgrave on the all-Madden team all-time for playing three quarters and playing well with a lacerated kidney. So you were down your top tight end. You were down Dontavian Wicks, who has been, I would say, close to a breakout star for this offense, who seems to be gaining confidence, had an excellent game against the Chargers, three catches, 93 yards. He didn't play because of a concussion. You also didn't have Aaron Jones, although it sounds like Aaron Jones did not suffer a major injury, which is miraculous given the way he went down and the tears in his eyes as he was being carted off of Lambeau Field against Los Angeles two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. It's a sprained MCL. He may be back before the end of the year, but you didn't have him on Thursday. A.J. Dillon did play. He was on the injury report. You didn't have Jair Alexander again. Of course, you didn't have Darnell Savage. Missing a lot of players and a lot of key players and especially missing Wicks and Jones, it felt like this offense could maybe struggle against the Lions, even though that Lions defense has not been the best in recent weeks. Add all of that up. If you were fully healthy going into this game, I wouldn't have been super confident. Then you have all those injuries and then the Lions put out their injury report one person. I think a backup tight end. That was it. You compare the two teams and where they're at. Then you compare the injury reports and it's on a short week and you're on the road And this team comes out guns blazing. Matt LaFleur talked about that first play, the play where Jordan Love did underthrow Watson on the first play. Okay, he did underthrow him, where he underthrew Watson, but Watson came back and battled for the ball like we've been begging him to for however many weeks this season has been going on, 10 weeks, 11 weeks, and he hauled it in for a 53-yard reception. Apparently, that was a part of the script, that play call. And then Matt LaFleur said he talked to or texted Jordan Love the night before and said, I think I'm going to change that. I think I want to change it to something else. And Love said, no, we're going to come out and we're going to be aggressive. Matt LaFleur also talked about during the week how upset he was at himself at the end of that Chargers game when the Packers had that 23-20 lead. And they had the ball with, what was it, under two minutes left. And the Chargers had all three of their timeouts. And they ran, 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 picked up six yards, and then punted the ball. When it was third and four or third and five in that game, I thought, God, if you let Jordan Love sling one over the middle here maybe or get him to the boundary where his accuracy is pretty good outside of the hash marks, 
If you pick up a first down, you don't have to lead this up to Joe Barry's defense. Well, they ran the ball to A.J. Dillon, punted it. They left it up to the defense. You got a lot of key drops from the Chargers at the end of that game. But the defense did what they did, and you got to win. But LaFleur said at the end of that game, he was kicking himself for not being aggressive on that third down, on that third and four, third and five, and not putting the game in Jordan's hands and instead forcing the Chargers to burn their last time out and then putting it in his defense's hands. Well, he has put that game in Jordan Love's hands, or he did put the game in Jordan Love's hands yesterday. They kept that play. He hits Watson, and then they're just kind of off and running. That first touchdown pass, have you seen the backside angle replay of the first touchdown to Jaden Reed? In the moment, it was hard to even track it because he threw that bullet so hard. When they showed the back view and the the over-the-right-shoulder side view, I don't know how he fit that ball in there. He fit that ball into a window where it zipped right in front of the corner who was covering Christian Watson. It zipped right in front of his face. It maybe singed an eyebrow. And it ends up on Reed's shoulder pad, who only had maybe a quarter of a step on his defender. It looked like, in real time, it looked like it went through defenders, like he was able to bend the bullet. We talk sometimes about some of the throws Jordan Love makes and say, hey, that's a Jordan, that's an Aaron Rodgers throw. I think we talked about it after one of the touchdown passes in Pittsburgh. We talked about it after one of the touchdown passes against the Chargers. Hey, that's an Aaron Rodgers throw. That's a top-tier level throw. I'm not even sure Aaron Rodgers is making that throw on the first touchdown pass to Jaden Reed. Now, Love did say it was a little lucky maybe, but when they showed that over-the-right-shoulder side replay, <laughs> I was out of breath. I thought, oh my God, how did he fit that in there? They get the touchdown and get out to a 7-0 lead. And then the Lions do go right down the field. We're going to talk about the defense in a second. Overall, the defense, given what we've seen from them this year, looked pretty impressive. Not on that first Lions touchdown drive, though. They go right down the field. And then on first or second and goal from the 6-yard line or the 5-yard line, the Packers are once again sitting 2 yards deep in the end zone in an 8-yard cushion zone when the other team is at their 6-yard line and ends up in an easy touchdown pass to Sam Laporta. They missed the extra point, but at that point, it feels like if you bet the over, you're feeling pretty good. Now, the over did hit anyway, but at that point, you thought maybe you were staring down a 38-31 to 31 or 38-35 to 35 kind of game with how easily the two teams made it up and down the field. The next drive for the Packers, a brilliant touchdown pass on a play design to Tucker Kraft with that fake inside handoff. Kraft leaked out to the right side. Love put that nice touch on it, little floater, hit Kraft right where he could get it and turn it up into the end zone. Packers up 14 to 6. And then the play where I really started to think, oh my God, are we not only going to be competitive today? We may win this game, was when the defense scored points. You had the ball knocked out of Goff's hands. Credit to the officials for allowing this play to continue. In real time, to my eyes, I thought they would whistle it dead. They let the, the play go on. Jonathan Owens, being smart, picks up the ball, takes it in the end zone. Hey, nobody blew a whistle. Let's just see what happens here on replay. They go to replay, and it was clearly a fumble. It was out of his hand before the forward motion. Now we get a defensive touchdown. Anders Carlson missed an extra point. All right. Seems to be a weekly occurrence now. At 20-6, to though, okay. Not only are we going to be in this game, we may win this game. Second quarter was quiet. You got the 43-yard field goal from Carlson. 23-6 to halftime lead. Third quarter, first drive for the Lions. They go right down the field. David Montgomery, six-yard touchdown run. Okay, game on. 23-14. What a response. Late third quarter, though. After another sack and a fumble recovery, Christian Watson, 16-yard touchdown pass from Jordan Love. On a day where they were a little thin at wide receiver, we saw Christian Watson have his best game. That put the Packers up 29-14. 
And in the fourth quarter, you give up that late touchdown. Defense did its job. Special teams did their job. Special teams early in that game, too. Was that the first or second quarter where they sniffed out that fake punt? And the Lions attempted that where, what, it was just outside of their own 20-yard line? When that was direct snapped, and they give you that back view now on every punt, when they direct snapped that to the running back, I thought, oh, Christ. <laughs> There's, this is going to be a first down. But Lucas Van Ness, the first-round draft pick, he sniffed it out. And I don't even think they picked up half a yard on fourth and four. Special teams and defense did their job in the fourth quarter. You gave up the touchdown, but with 40 seconds left and the two-point conversion, you knew you just needed to collect an onside kick. I know that's easier said than done, but they did it on the onside kick. It was a penalty on the Lions anyway. They would have had to redo it if the Lions would have gotten the recovery. Jaden Reed hauls it in, and this Packer team and Matt LaFleur get a signature win. I'd have to go back and look at every Matt LaFleur win, and hey, we shouldn't shortchange him. 13 win years in each of his first three seasons, a lot of that is probably due to the talent on the team and Devontae and Aaron Rodgers and all that kind of stuff. There were some big wins in there where I'm sure the play calling was good. But when you just look at this season with the youngest roster in the NFL and all of the injuries going into it and how Dan Campbell has owned him and you're on the road and you're on a short week, you got to put this up in a top three, right? Or at least at minimum top five win, regular season win for Matt LaFleur in his era as the Green Bay Packers head coach. Jordan Love. Let's look at the stats, baby. 22 of 32, 68% completion percentage. Everybody has been freaking out about that all year. Sick, almost 70%. Another multiple touchdown, no turnover game. A week ago, it was two touchdowns, no picks against the Chargers. This week, three touchdowns, no picks. He had a big rush in this game. He had three carries, 39 yards. That rush he had in the third quarter or early fourth quarter, where he took off, and it did look like he could have kept going. I think he ran out of gas. I don't know if anybody asked him that in the post game. I didn't listen to the entire Jordan Love post game. I was in a food coma at that point. I don't know if anybody asked him why he did that. In the moment, I kind of thought, oh, that might be a little savvy because you could run more clock. There were about five or six minutes left in the game. Now you get a fresh set of downs. You can milk about two minutes and change off the clock. And the clock is the Lions' biggest enemy at that moment in a 29-14 game. He might have just run out of gas, though. He probably could have taken that at least 10 to 15 yards further. That rush, by the way is the longest rush by a Packer quarterback since, who would you think? Brett Favre. Can you believe that? That was the longest rush by a Packer quarterback since Brett Favre against Jacksonville in 1995. Favre rushed for 40 yards on a scramble in that game. That was the most recent longest rush in Packer history from a quarterback. And Jordan Love was able to get beyond that. He had a quarterback rating for those obsessed with quarterback rating and QBR. Quarterback rating of 125.5, a QBR of 90.6. The last four weeks now, quarterback rating of 115.5 against the Rams in a win. Quarterback rating of 72 against Pittsburgh. The two picks cost him late in that game. One of them certainly wasn't his fault. One of them was a bad decision. Up until that last five minutes of the Pittsburgh game, he would have had a quarterback rating over 100. I know you can't take those picks away. They are a part of the reason they lost that game. For 90% of that game, he was having an excellent game. Against the Chargers, quarterback rating of 108.5 and a QBR of 54.5. And against Detroit, a quarterback rating of 125.5 and a QBR of 96. I've said ad nauseum on this podcast with the whole team, but specifically Jordan Love. Because if you go all the way back to the first podcast where we started talking about this Packers season back in July, back in August, we said... We would love for this team to somehow get together with an eight or nine win season and make a and be a threat for the playoffs, which you are going to talk about in a second, too. We'd love for that to happen. 
The biggest part of this year, whether you win three games or whether you win 10 games, is at the end of the year, are you comfortable saying Jordan Love is our guy going forward? And all season long, even in the really down times when we were losing against the Raiders on the road and losing against the Broncos and getting smoked by the Vikings at home, I said, all I want to see right now is improvement. I would love for them to win. I am a happier person when the Packers win. You can ask anybody that lives with me. I am a happier person when the Packers win. Brewer, that's my dog Brewer. Am I happier when the Packers win? All that said, the number one thing that has to be figured out by the end of this year is, is Jordan Love the guy, and are you going to give him some kind of contract extension beyond next year? His contract takes him through next year. You're going to have to do something in the offseason one way or the other in all likelihood. That's the number one priority for this season. And we have started to not only see small improvements, we are starting to see Big steps. I would say Thursday's game was a big step forward for Jordan Love. He is reading the field a lot better. The accuracy is getting better. He looks more comfortable. The playbook is opening for him as well. Matt LaFleur seems to be taking more chances, where I would say if you go back to the Vegas game specifically, it looked like LaFleur was afraid to call certain plays for Jordan Love or give him too much. The playbook is expanding. He is getting faith in his wide receivers, who are also growing as a unit in confidence and are running better routes and are fighting for footballs. It's all these, all these young guys. It's all coming together. He just looks like a more confident quarterback each of the last four or five weeks. You could make a case that in the last four weeks, you would say that was his best game of his career. Then the next week, that was the best game of his career. Even the Pittsburgh game with the picks. The Charger game, that might have been one of the best games of his career. Certainly yesterday, you could say it's one of the best games of his career. It's a small sample size, but you get that feeling every single week for Jordan Love as he continues to just build and build and build. The only bummer of the day was he didn't get the turkey leg. I guess Fox had to address this. Every other, it's, I mean, that's a Thanksgiving tradition too. At the end of every game on Thanksgiving Day, you give the MVP of that game or one of the players from the winning team, they all get together and they all have a turkey leg or they rip into some turducken. I guess Fox only had the one turducken. How that's possible, I have no idea. And remember, there was in the third quarter or fourth quarter, they went up to the booth and talked about that, and they talked about Madden. I thought that was a nice touch, too, by the way, to have the Madden patches on the Packer and Lions jerseys yesterday, and they had a couple of interviews that they showed from back in the day with Madden. His wife and the two sons had a message, too. That was pretty neat. They were talking about the turducken in the booth, and Olsen just molested it. He just started ripping into it. And I remember as we were watching that, I said, oh, that's it looked like a prop, but oh, that's real, the way that he dug his fingers into it. Well, I guess that was the only one, and they didn't want to use that one then that was all mangled. Jordan Love puts on this all-time performance for him in, a, in the Thanksgiving game, and his team gets the upset on the road. They were eight-and-a-half-point underdogs by the time this game kicked off. And he didn't even get a turkey leg. And the sideline reporter that was interviewing him had to apologize and say, we don't have a turkey leg for you, but good game. Give him a pat on the back. Everybody else, Dak got a turkey leg at the end of the Cowboy game. I forget who got the turkey leg for the Niners. No turkey leg for Jordan Love. We're feeling pretty good about him going forward, right? If they gave him an extension today, I'm not saying they're going to do that. I still stand by I want the full season. As excited as I am getting about Jordan Love, and at this point, given what we've seen in the last four or five weeks, I do believe he is the guy. It doesn't mean he's a Hall of Famer. I know it's, uh, this all depends on what your expectations are, too. When you hear me say or you read on Twitter from other people, Jordan Love is the guy, what does that mean to you? Does that mean he is going to be your starting quarterback for the next five to seven years or the next ten years? Or is your brain automatically going to, well, then he's got to be a Hall of Famer like Rodgers and Favre. If he's the guy, that's what he's got to be. 
That might not be a realistic expectation. I still want to see the full sample. Like I said, when we were really down on Jordan Love and people and the Wolves were out coming after Jordan Love and the quarterback ratings were in the 20s in some of those games. I said, I want the full 17 games. Even with how good the play has been recently, I still want the full 17 games. And they don't have to do anything until the full 17 games are up. That said, if it came out today that Goody gave him a four-year, $80 million, a three-year, $80 million extension or whatever the extension is going to look like, I don't know that too many people say boo. There will still be that percentage of people that just don't think Jordan Love is good still. Even though a couple of them, a couple of the staunch Love haters on a Facebook post I had yesterday, even they seemed to concede he was decent. They couldn't say he was good. (laughs) They couldn't say, oh, he was good or he's getting good. Decent. Decent. He still can't do the the accuracy downfield. Still has a total guard. Still pretty bad. It was bad in college, too. I don't think that's going to get any better. And they pointed to the underthrow to Christian Watts. Oh, that should have been a touchdown. But he played it was okay. He was okay beyond that. It's just they can't bring themselves to give him a full compliment. It's wild. I don't understand it. If they came out today, though, and the Packers said, hey, we gave him the four-year extension, the three-year extension, fine. I still want to see the full 17 games. And there's and this is not to say there are not going to be bumps in the road. For as good as he's been the last four weeks or the last five weeks or whatever it is, He could struggle against Kansas City. I don't think he's going to, but he could struggle in a game or two or three yet this year, and he could be really good in the other two or three games. This is still going to be a ride. This is not resolved, I don't think. But if they gave him the extension today, it may not be a bad idea for Cootie. It may because the enthusiasm is going to be no higher, I don't think, than it is right now. Unless they do make a run at the playoffs and they clinch a playoff spot or something. I don't know that the, the rating, the Q rating on Jordan Love, I don't know that it's going to be a lot higher than it is right now coming off of the performance he had yesterday with all the injuries and being almost a 10-point underdog. He now has 19 touchdowns and 10 picks, 2,600 yards. He is pacing for a 4,000-yard season and total touchdowns around 30, 31, or 32. That's pretty damn good, everybody. Otherwise, what other individual stuff? A.J. Dillon ran hard, 14 for 43. Not big, but he got a couple of first downs. Biggest miscue of the day was probably that fourth down in Detroit territory. I forget what drive that was, where it was fourth and one, and then Dylan and Love kind of collided with each other. Receiving-wise, as we talked about, much maligned Christian Watson got a shout-out from Devontae Adams on Twitter after the game, too, and Devontae said, put some respect on Christian Watson's name, on Christian's name. Five catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. He needed a big game. He had a big game. How about Malik Heath? You know, we've talked about Watson and Jaden Reed and Dobbs and Musgrave and Wicks and how good they've looked. Malik Heath had four catches of 46 yards, filling in for Dontavian Wicks yesterday. Dylan again, second week in a row, pretty good in the receiving game. He had three catches for 38 yards. Dobbs had three for 37. He is now past his receiving total and receiving yards total and touchdown total from last year. Jaden Reed, four for 34, and that unbelievable touchdown catch where he basically just had to catch it. It was right on him. Tucker Kraft, two catches, 15 yards with that touchdown in the stead of Luke Musgrave. Special teams, another missed extra point from Anders Carlson. He did miss that whatever it was, 60-yarder. They tried to roll him out there for 62 or 63 yards. That's not one you're going to lose too much sleep over. Two of three on extra points again. Overall, special teams, pretty solid. Another reason I would say this is one of the best games in the LaFleur era it's one of the more complete games we've seen. They played complementary football, something they really struggle with. All three phases, offense, defense, and special teams, had their moments on Thursday, almost said Sunday. And defensively, despite that first drive, and there were a couple of drives, hey, this Detroit offense is one of the best offenses, and they're at home on a fast track in the NFL. You're going to give up some stuff. Overall, though, nothing to be too upset about. They give up 22 points. They get... 
three turnovers. They actually score points as well, which end up being the difference in a seven-point game. And they pretty much rallied to the ball carrier. Didn't have a great day against the run by their standards, though. The Lions went 31 carries, 140 yards, four and a half yards a carry, and a touchdown. Those are those are decent numbers, but the Packers have been giving up 180, 190, and almost six yards a carry. Maybe took a slight step forward there. And they did put a lot of pressure on Goff, and they forced Goff into mistakes. Goff is one of those guys. He's kind of like Kirk Cousins, where if you can put pressure on him and get in his kitchen a little bit, he will make mistakes. Jonathan Owens had a great game with that touchdown. He also had 12 tackles, some big hits. Rashawn Gary, he got the game ball at the end of this one, rightfully so, about a year ago to the day, almost a year ago to the day, where he tore his ACL at Ford Field in Detroit He has an emotional return and was the most impactful player on the defensive side of the football. You could maybe argue in the game he was just a man of mayhem. He was a toddler on a sugar high at Easter Mass. He he was was in everybody's mix, everything. He had seven tackles, three sacks, two forced fumbles. He got the game ball, got emotional at the end of the game. When he got that game ball, he said, I'm tired of crying in front of everybody. But you have to understand, I think, the component of that being the place where he suffered his most devastating injury. He came back in less than a year, and then he's back on that field and having a major impact in a massive win for the Packers. Three-sack game for Rashawn Gary. The defense pretty much held their own. I don't know that I'm thinking fire Joe Barry after Thursday's game. That's a small step forward in the right direction. I don't know if that overall means how I feel about Joe Barry, but they did enough and played well enough and rallied to the ball and tackled well enough on Thursday to get a 29-22 win. Now, shall we talk about playoffs? (laughs) Should we do it? I'm not going to play the Jim Mora. You know what I'm going to play you instead? The Jim Mora playoff sound clip is often used, and rightfully so. I am going to play you a different playoff clip. I'm going to play you the Jim Fossil, the former New York Giants head coach, playoff clip. I'm responsible for the whole thing. I'm raising the stakes right now. This is a poker game. I'm shoving my chips to the middle of the table. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, can get out. Okay? This team is going to the playoffs. Is this team getting in? Because that 20-second clip is kind of how I feel. This Packer team... And I'm not saying they can go out. I mean, maybe they go out and lose to the Chiefs at home next Sunday night and they lose by 21 points and we're all brought back to reality. This team is trending in the right direction, correct? We're not going crazy saying that. As we just talked about, Jordan Love is growing every week. The receivers are growing every week. You're going to get Aaron Jones back at some point. The defense was solid enough on Thursday. Special teams, solid enough. Just this young roster, which we needed to give time, needed to give a little seasoning to, And everybody had to get out of that mindset of what it's been for the last 30 years where you go into every year with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and Brett Favre as your quarterback. And every year you feel like you're going to win the division and you're going to be competing for a Super Bowl. We had to get out of that mindset a little bit at the beginning of this year and say, we have the youngest roster in the NFL. We have a quarterback who is now a first-year starter. We have young wide receivers. We Young, 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 young. You cannot expect that team to come out and win four of their first five games or five of their first six games and set the tone and win 12 games and make a playoff run. It takes time, and you can just see. It passes the eye test. This team is leveling up. They're getting more comfortable at the NFL level every single week at most of their position groups. This has an upward trajectory to it. The toughest game that remains on this Packers schedule, and I'm not saying they can't lose any of the other games. I'm just saying on the surface, on the, if you'll just look at the schedule, the most difficult game remaining is the next game. We're at home in prime time. You've got Patrick Mahomes and Taylor Swift coming to Lambeau Field. 
And you're probably going to be a six-point underdog, right? Seven, Maybe seven-point underdog in that game. That's the toughest game left. After that, you've got the Giants on the road. That's a winnable game, even though you're on the road, and I think it's Monday night. You've got the Buccaneers at home. That's a winnable game. You've got Carolina, the worst team in the league, a one-win team. You're at their place on Christmas Eve. Winnable game. At Minnesota, going to be tough. Josh Dobbs playing okay. Winnable game. That's a winnable game, right? I'm not saying they're going to. It's a winnable game. And then at home against the Bears, the end of the regular season, where you don't know what either team is playing for. Packers could be playing for a playoff spot. The Bears could be resting everybody because they've got the number two pick and they already have the the Panthers' number one pick. You never know what that last game is going to look like. Even if everybody plays, that's a winnable game. Even if you lose to Kansas City, you could say, yeah, this team could go 4-1 and one in their last five games. And with the way the bottom of the NFC looks, you're probably only going to need eight or nine wins to get that seventh spot. As things stand right now, Seahawks lose at home to the Niners. They fall to 6-5. and five. Now, both the Vikings and Seahawks are 6-5, and five, and the Packers are one game back at 5-6. and six. And when you look at the remaining schedules, the hardest part of the Vikings schedule after this Bears game on Monday night this weekend, the most difficult part of their schedule is still coming up, and the most difficult part of the Seahawks schedule is still coming up or is starting right now with that matchup against the Niners last night. The most difficult part of the Packers' schedule is about to end with this game at home against Kansas City, and then you get to the softest part of this Packers' schedule. So when you look at it and say you're a game back, and then you look at the Vikings and Seahawks' remaining games and the Packer remaining games and the strength of schedule, it's not inconceivable. Am I saying it's a mortal lock? What percentage chance would I put on it? 35? 30? I mean, I would have put 2% on it back after the losses to Vegas and Minnesota and Denver. I feel 35 to 40% confident that this team could find their way into that seven spot. And what a story that would be if Jordan Love continues to play the way he is and gets this team in with eight or nine wins. We're definitely looking pretty decent, I would say, now for the over on season wins. We are sitting on that 7.5 season win total bet. That looked like an unmoored ship about three weeks ago. Well, now you're sitting at five and six and you need three wins in the finals to go three and three in the final six just to cash that ticket. And that may be enough to get in at eight and nine. Would they just get smoked then in the two seven matchup in the playoffs? Probably, maybe, but that will help. As we've talked about winning, learning how to win helps getting to the playoffs for the youngest team in the NFL would help even losing that first round playoff game by three touchdowns. That would help get them that experience in a playoff game. It's not far-fetched. I know we're just coming off of a month ago where it looked like this team could be a top-five pick or a top-three pick. Well, that has totally reversed course. We said after the whatever game, the Rams game, where they were sitting at three wins, that at the beginning of this stretch of Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs, they could be three and nine. Well, they won the first two of those three games. They're five and six. And if they somehow beat Kansas City, and I don't think they're going to get their doors blown off in that game at home with the confidence growing, if they win all three of those, Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs, then you're really talking about a viable shot at the playoffs. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, we're all feeling pretty good sitting here on Friday morning after the performance they put together on Thursday against the Lions. All right, let's talk real quick. What else do I have in the rundown here? Badgers in Minnesota. They play tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday. They play Saturday at 2.30. The all-time matchup in the, in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe is a deadlock. It is 62-62-8. and eight. <laughs> They've been playing since 1890. That is crazy that it's, that, that it's literally deadlocked. 62-62-8. and eight. 
Badgers are coming off of an encouraging performance against Nebraska. Not that you're feeling great about having to go to overtime to beat a bad Nebraska team by a touchdown at home. After the way they played against Indiana and the way they played at home against Northwestern and then falling down two touchdowns in the first five minutes to Nebraska, for them to rally, okay, all right, you did enough to show that you care a little bit about the end of this year. They get bowl eligible. As we talked about on Monday's podcast, you do have a chance. I'm not saying you're going to salvage this season in the minds of a lot of Badger fans. If you would have said at the beginning of the year that this team is going to be battling for bowl eligibility, the second to last game of the year, and maybe they'd get to eight and five with a middling bowl win in there in the middle of December. Would we have been excited about that given what the expectation level was going into this year? No, but having now ridden the ups and downs, if you get the win this weekend and you get Paul Bunyan's ax back and it's been in Minnesota now for two years, you would have won the freedom trophy against Nebraska you would have, if you can do this, you win Paul Bunyan's axe back, and then whatever team you take on in the mid to late December bowl game, if you win that, you feel okay about hitting the offseason with a three-game winning streak, winning a couple of trophy games, and winning a bowl game as well. You just want to get that axe back. How much they're going to care about this game, they showed they cared a little in that Nebraska game. After Hunter Waller called out the locker room, they showed some resolve at the end of that Nebraska game by outscoring them 24-3 and getting the win. The health status of this team probably isn't great. I haven't heard a ton. College, they don't really have to reveal a ton. Is Hunter Waller going to play? Is Braylon Allen going to play? Or was he just out there kind of for his de facto senior day game against Nebraska, even though he's a junior? In all likelihood, he's going to go to the NFL draft, I would think. And maybe they just were able to get him out there, grind out a couple of touchdowns. He gutted it out with 22 carries. Are they going to force him out there on the road against Minnesota or in a bowl game that doesn't matter for a guy that has NFL hopes who is probably what a fourth round third round fourth round NFL pick even with the injuries this year he has put together kind of a good year I looked at his stats at the end of that Nebraska game I did not expect to see Braylon Allen near 900 yards and over five yards a carry every game I tune into and I watch most of them I feel like he's getting stuffed for a yard or two or a loss or picking up three or four I did not expect to see his average yards per carry over five and he's got a handful of touchdowns on the year too With the injuries he has sustained, are you now going to force him out there for this Axe game? Or is he going to try to be out there because of the rivalry? Are you going to put him out there for a December 21st bowl game? I don't know. You want him to get the Axe back, though. Badgers are favored. I don't know how. But they did win in cover against Nebraska. They are favored by two. A 2.30 kickoff. Minnesota is also playing terribly. This is not going to be a memorable chapter in this rivalry, I do not think. 2.30 kickoff on the way on Saturday. Let's talk about college hoops a little bit. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Marquette had a chance, man. They had a chance. If they could have beaten Purdue and won the Maui Invitational, they would have beaten number one and number two back-to-back days in less than 24 hours at a neutral site. And there's no way they would not have been the number one team in the country had they been able to accomplish that. They got down 45-33 at halftime. Purdue hit that miracle three-quarter court shot at the halftime buzzer. And that ended up being the difference in a three-point game. It was. It was the difference. 78-75 to loss. Marquette battled back. They got it within a possession several times. Just couldn't quite get over the hump. One of those college games where you get it down to two, and then you're down five. And you get it down to three, and then you're down six. And then you get it down to one, and you're down four. They just couldn't get over the hump against a loaded Purdue team. And Zach Eady, how many freaking years has that seven-foot-four monster been at Purdue? That feels like he's a six-year grad student at this point. He had 28 points, 15 rebounds. Marquette, they have Iguodaro. They just don't. He looks like a shrimp next to Edie. How tall is Iguodaro? He's got to be 6'10". And Edie just towers over him. 
And Marquette does not have a ton of size beyond Iguodaro. They had Joplin defending Edie or trying to defend Edie at times. It was just a tough matchup. Uh, ben Smith, is it Ben Smith? That number three, their young guard, Braden Smith. He's only a sophomore. He looks like he's a five-year senior. He was knocking down shots, 7 of 11, 4 of 6 from the on the arc. The three-point line is what burned Marquette on Wednesday. Purdue ended up 48% from beyond the arc, and Marquette just 30% from beyond the arc in a 78-75 loss. First loss of the year for Marquette, no shame in that. I mean, you beat the brakes off of the number one team in the country, then you lost 18 hours later to the number two team in the country. They are 5-1 and one now on the year, and they will take on a cupcake before the Badger showdown, right? Yeah, they take on Southern on Tuesday. That's at Fiserv Forum. And then you get the big in-state rivalry this coming weekend, Saturday, December 2nd, or next weekend, Saturday, December 2nd. It's at the Kohl Center this year. Speaking of the Badgers, they win the Fort Myers tip-off, back-to-back wins. They blow out number 24, Virginia, who then beat West Virginia, which is going to be good for the Badgers' strength of schedule later in the year. They beat Tony Bennett and number 24 Virginia 65-41 to and then took on SMU Wednesday in the championship game. Had to come back in that one, and they did. And Chucky Hepburn was excellent at the end of that game. He hit a couple of step-back dagger threes. I know the Badger fans, and myself included, have a love-hate relationship with Chucky Hepburn, especially late in games where he's taken 35-footers, ill-advised, early in the shot clock. He takes a lot of those shots where you're saying, no, 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 okay, <laughs> if he makes them. But more often than not, you're saying, no, 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 no. Why would you do that? Why are you taking that shot with 25 seconds left on the shot clock? And Greg Gard's face is the color of a strawberry on the sideline, just knowing he can't pull him, but enraged at that decision. And that's been Chucky's whole career. Well, a couple of times on Wednesday, he took those no, 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 no shots that ended in yes. Also had A.J. Store, the St. John's transfer. He was good at the end of the game. He had a monster dunk late, and they get a 69-61 to win against SMU, and they win the Fort Myers tip-off tournament. They will also take on a cupcake. Theirs is on Monday. They take on Western Illinois at the Kohl Center Monday night, and then it is the matchup with Marquette. Marquette, I think, will still be number four. I don't see them moving. They may move up. I mean, given how difficult it is to take on the number one team one day and 18 hours later take on the number two team, and you soundly beat the number one team and barely lost the number two team, at worst, I think they're staying number four in the country. If they drop, that's a travesty. If they drop in the rankings. I would think they'll be at four or maybe number three coming out of the new top 25s on Monday. That is Saturday at the Cole Center. Some entertaining college hoops on Wednesday. Also, Wednesday was the Bucks' first matchup with the Celtics this year. The Bucks did storm back late. Celtics were in control of this. They jumped out to a 10-0 lead. Had a double-figure lead most of the night. Of course, the narrative on the ESPN broadcast was all about Drew Holiday and getting revenge against his former team. And they interviewed him before the game and after the game. He didn't have a very good game. I think the problem you see in November is that the Celtics have their head coach in his second year in Missoula and the core of their team. They added Porzingis. They added Holiday. But the core of their team is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And they've been together now for seven or eight years. And the core of this Bucks team, Middleton is certainly still a part of that. But the core now is Giannis and Dame. And they are playing their 10th game together. They started to get together at the end of the game. Dame Dame time in the fourth quarter is something to behold. He had a bad shooting night all the way up until the fourth quarter. And then as they made the game interesting late, he starts hitting step back threes. And he starts going behind the back and dunking it and getting to the rim. He did miss that dunk at the end of the game that would have made it a one-point game. I don't know if they win if he makes that. Or it would have made it a two-point game, I think. But it would have been Celtics ball under 20 seconds left. And if they hit their free throws, it's pretty much game over. 
it was encouraging the way they came back and made it a game and put some pressure on the Celtics. I remember watching the fourth quarter and just saying, you know, just get in the call timeout. Put some pressure on them, put this game in doubt a little bit, and force the Celtics to burn a timeout. And they had to a couple of times in that fourth quarter. Bucks did knock on the door. They just missed way too many money bunnies. Giannis had a bad game at the rim. He has been beyond belief at the rim all year. How many games have they played now? 15 games. 14 of those 15 games, he is shooting something like 90% at the rim, and he just missed a host of layups on Wednesday. And I'm not talking about contested shots, really. He just missed a lot of layups that we are used to seeing him make. He said at the end of the game he was under the weather. Jason Tatum was also sick, it sounds like, and almost didn't play for the Celtics. He said he's battling the cold, and maybe he just mentally he was in a bit of a fog on Wednesday. Whatever. It's November. I would expect the Celtics, given the continuity, given the fact that they're at home, to have played better than the Bucks in that instance, and they did. We'll see what happens in whatever it is. A month or two? When are they at? When's the first game? Do I not have it up? Nope. We'll see when the first game is at Pfizer Forum. If that's further down the road, and we see what it looks like then when it's in Milwaukee. In November, given that the Bucks are still trying to work things out with Damon Giannis and still trying to figure things out under a first-year head coach, it was going to be tough. I'm happy they made it a game late and they made it look a little better on the scoreboard. That Celtics team is really good. I mean, that's uh, we think, like we thought last year, didn't turn out that way, but we think it's headed toward a collision course between these two teams at some point in the playoffs. When do we have Boston at serve? They are at... Oh, it's a TNT game. Yes, we get Chuck and Shaq. It is Thursday, January 11th. We are a month and a half away. And it's in Milwaukee. It is the game on TNT on Thursday that week. We'll see what it looks like then. I was hopeful the Bucks would win in Boston. I'm not sure how much I really thought that was going to happen when you just look at on the matchup on paper and then the continuity and they're in Boston and it's early in the year. We'll see what it looks like on January 11th. Do they play three or four times? They play the 11th of January, and then they're back in Boston in March as we get... Oh, they do play four times. Okay, so they have a January matchup at serve, a late March matchup at Boston, and then the fourth to last game of the year, Tuesday, April 9th, they're at home at serve against Boston. That one will be on TNT as well. All right, they play four times. First matchup goes to Boston early in the year, and they win by three. All right, I'm fine with that. We have the resumption of the in-season tournament. Now we get back to games that matter. The in-season tournament resumes tonight for the Bucks. They beat Washington at Washington on Monday. I would assume that tonight's win is going to be a relatively easy win at home against a two-win Washington team. If the Bucks win this, they will get to 3-0 in pool play, and in all likelihood, the winner of the pool is going to come down to this Bucks miami game in Miami, and that is next week, Tuesday. That will be on TNT as well. You hope they get to 3-0 in pool play tonight. And then my guess is you're going to have two 3-0 teams in pool play matching up in Miami on Tuesday. And the winner will win the pool and be on their way to Vegas for whatever, however it works after that. What is it then? Eight teams or six teams get to the Vegas tournament, win and go home, win or go home in early December. That is tonight's 7 o'clock tip time at Fiserv Forum. Let's make some picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to 1 on anything, you take it. That's a cool G, Daddy. Oh, now you gotta let it ride.
All right, we had another winning week. And as I said on Monday's podcast, I was really close to saying we are the hottest gambling podcast in the country. Because after the college wins last weekend, we were 7-0-1 in our last eight picks. Then, of course, we lost both of our NFL picks on the overs on Sunday. We did win the three-team parlay last Sunday. We give ourselves a win for that. We are 34. Where's the actual record? I have it written down. We are 34-25-2. I mean, come on, guys. That's, come on. We are up nine units on the year. If you're a betting unit, and by the way, for the non-gamblers out there, I don't know why you'd be listening to this portion of the podcast, but if you are, thank you. A unit is what a gambler bets on every game. When you're just betting games, do you feel comfortable betting $100 on a game or $50 on a game or $10 on a game or $5? We don't unit shame. Whatever it is, it's a $5 unit, and that's what you bet on every game, or it's a $1,000 unit, if that's what you bet on every game, whatever. Gambling's gambling. We are up nine units, though. So if your unit is $100, if you bet $100 on every pick we've made on this podcast this year, you'd be up $900. Let's say your unit was $1,000. Let's just say that hypothetically. You would be up $9,000 on the year. We are rolling a little bit here. I have one, two, three, four, five, six games, three college, three NFL. It's rivalry week in college football. I actually have a little bit of money, not official, not podcast official. We've got a ton of college football today. I've got a little money on the Oklahoma game, which is starting in five minutes, which is why we have to finish this segment and mix down this podcast and get it out there. We have NFL today, too. I've got a little money on the Dolphins at New York taking on the Jets. I've got, we've got number 13 Oklahoma against TCU today. We've got the Iowa-Nebraska matchup. I thought about putting a little money on Nebraska there. They're favored against number 17 Iowa, but it's bowl eligibility on the line for Nebraska. There are one, two, three, there are six ranked games happening today. And then the one tonight's a big one. Number six, Oregon, taking on number 16, Oregon State. That is at Oregon. And if the Ducks win that, they are in the Pac-12 championship game. They could be a team that's on their way to the college football playoffs. Anyway, the biggest game of the weekend is the Ohio State-Michigan game at Michigan. You've got the subplot now of Jim Harbaugh being suspended for the remainder of the regular season. It sounds like he will be allowed to coach in the Big Ten championship game if Michigan gets there. The rumors and the drama that are the undertones of this matchup, it has been rumored that Ohio State and Ryan Day were the ones that tried to expose Michigan and the, what was the guy's name? I forget the kid's name that worked for Michigan, was going to all the games and videotaping other teams and stealing their signals. It has been rumored that Ohio State are the ones that reported this to the NCAA and started the investigation. You have this huge rivalry that happens every year the last week of the year. You've got both teams unbeaten. Ohio State's number two, Michigan's number three. Both are 11-0, and now you've got the subplot of the head coach from Michigan being suspended for the remainder of the year for allegedly stealing signs and videotaping signals and having those in his back pocket during games. And now there's that element of, was Ohio State the one that snitched on Michigan? There's just a lot going into this. Michigan, I love it. This is peak college football. When you get two really good teams and probably the number one ranking in the country on the line, and then you add that drama to it, I love it. Oh, I love it. I'm taking Michigan. Michigan is minus three and a half. They've beaten Ohio State three years in a row, at least the last two. This is the first time in an eternity that Michigan has been favored in this game. With the added element of did Ohio State start this investigative process and get Jim Harbaugh suspended? 
with that on top of it, and I already think Michigan's a better team than Ohio State anyway. Ohio State is number two in the country, but this is not Ohio State with C.J. Stroud last year and just loaded at every skill position. Yes, Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best wide receiver in the country, maybe a top five player overall in the country. But Ohio State does not have a quarterback like they've had in the past. McCord is not anywhere near the level of C.J. Stroud or who was the guy that just killed the Badgers, number 16. I can't think of his name. He didn't make it in the NFL. Cardale Jones. He's not even on the Cardale Jones level. I am taking Michigan minus three and a half. I think they're going to win this game by double digits. I think this is a 10 to 14 point win. And this may be a three or four touchdown win. They are going to want to make a major statement in this game, given that extra layer of drama with Jim Harbaugh being suspended and perhaps Ohio State being the instigators behind that whole investigation. They're going to want to stomp Ohio State. This is a very good Ohio State team. Let's not forget this is an Ohio State team that was only up by a touchdown against Wisconsin in the third quarter, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. I just see Michigan out for blood. I just see them like a shark with blood in the water. I will take them minus three and a half. And honestly, if you gave me an alternate line at minus 10 and it was plus 300 or I got the juiced odds on that, I may take that. I think they're going to win by 10 to 14 points and maybe more on Saturday. I will also take my brother-in-law, Tony's alma mater, Alabama at Auburn. It is the Iron Bowl. That's another big rivalry game. Alabama is minus 13, so you got to win by two touchdowns. Auburn is 6-5, and five, and Alabama is still very much in the national title conversation. Auburn is 6-5 and five on the year. They just lost at home by three touchdowns to New Mexico State, 31-10 to 10 at home. New Mexico State beating an SEC team. Coming off of that, I will take Alabama to win by two touchdowns at Auburn. I get it. This is a huge rivalry. This is another one like the Battle for the Axe that goes back a thousand years. And you, when you have that, throw the records out and all that kind of stuff. When you lose to New Mexico State at home by three touchdowns, I can only imagine what Alabama is going to do to them. I will take the Crimson Tide minus 13 at Auburn. And the other college game on Saturday, I will take number 15 Arizona. If this were a year where you had 12 college playoff teams, if we had the expanded college football playoffs, Arizona is probably going to threaten to get into the Pac-12 championship game. You could make a case right now, and we've won money on them twice now in this run they're on. They're playing as good as anybody in the country. This is one of those teams where when they do expand the college football playoff field, these are the teams you look for. Like Arizona would probably get in as a number 12 seed or as the last team in or however many teams are going to be. It's 12, right? First four get buys, then the other eight. They would be in as a 12 seed, and they would be frisky. They would be a froggy team in that situation. I will take number 15 Arizona at Arizona State, another rivalry game. The Sun Devils have played a lot of close games, but Arizona is just blowing people out. They are minus 10 and a half on the road. I will take them, even though, yes, it is a rivalry game. In the NFL, I am going to take the Eagles minus three at home against Buffalo. A little sign of life from Buffalo last week. Still, though, the Eagles are probably the best team or the second best team in the NFL, and they're at home. I'll take them minus three. That's the marquee game on Sunday. I can't believe I'm going to bet on this game. I'm going to take the Giants at home, plus three and a half against New England. These two teams are terrible. Tommy DeVito, now the starting quarterback for the Giants, third string quarterback, who still lives at home with his parents. And he threw a three touchdown game his last time out in a Giants win. They're at home and they're catching three and a half. And it's that half point hook. I don't know that a lot of points are going to be scored this game. You give me the half-point hook, they can lose by three at home to a bad Patriots team and still cover, I'll take the Giants. I may not even watch this game. That's how bad this game is going to be that I will have money on it and I may not watch it. Probably going to watch it. 
And then I am going to take the Broncos at home against Cleveland. Browns defense, one of the best units in the league. Now, though, with that backup rookie quarterback, it's in Denver. The Broncos are minus one and a half. The Broncos have won four straight. That started with a two-point win against the Packers. I'm telling you, you look back at some of those Packer losses that at the time we thought, oh, my God, how could you lose this game? Well, the Raiders are five and six. The Broncos are 5-5. Five and five. They've won four in a row. If they win this game, they're going to be 6-5 and five and right in the AFC playoff conversation. And you only lost there by two points. That was a 19-17 game. I will take the Broncos minus one and a half at home against Cleveland, a rookie quarterback in Denver at the altitude. I, I will take the Broncos at home. Broncos minus one and a half against the Browns. Giants plus three and a half against New England. Eagles minus three against Buffalo. Arizona minus ten and a half at ASU. Alabama minus 13 in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. And the big one of the weekend, Michigan minus three and a half at home against Ohio State. And then probably becoming the number one team in the country. All right. We will get back after it on Monday. It's a victory Friday. Not going to be a victory Monday. Packers don't play. We will have a clearer picture, though, of the playoff situation. Vikings and Bears, Monday night football. I guess we won't have a clearer picture until Friday. The Bears could do the Packers a favor. If the Bears win that game, is it in Minnesota? If the Bears win that game, the Packers would be a half game out. And even in the loss column with the number seven team in the NFC, it is in Minnesota. That's the Monday night game, Bears in Minnesota. We'll maybe talk a little bit about that on Monday. We'll recap the Badger matchup and see if they get Paul Bunyan's axe back. We'll break that all down as well as the Bucks on Monday's podcast. Have a happy, safe rest of your holiday weekend. We'll chat with you then.